0: Well, it's good to be back. Um, I think somebody made the comment this morning to Leslie as she was walking in that she hadn't seen her for a while, and in fact, um, out of the last five weeks, I think we've been here one week, or at least Leslie and the children have been here one week. When I was uh, taking classes down in Louisville, um, Leslie and the kids, I drove them out to Colorado, And they spent time with their family out in Colorado. And now um, we're back, so it's good to be back. Um, I didn't choose this passage this morning uh, with any thought of the vote that's coming in mind. Um, However, once I started looking into it and I started seeing what the passage says, uh, I do think it speaks a little bit to... The vote that we'll be having. So I just want to um, make a note of first my passage. What I'll be preaching through is Ephesians three fourteen through twenty one. This particular passage is the second of two prayers that Paul prays for the Ephesians as he's um, encouraging them in the Lord on how to be a church. Um, at the very end of this prayer, he he says these words, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Um, and in that section, that's where I find some parallel to what we'll be doing later on with the vote. And that'll be clear as we move forward. Uh, before we... Um, get into the word, though, let me ask the Lord's blessing on this preaching of the word. Father, you are the good father who delights to give good things to your children. And you've shown us that those good things are your Um, is really Yourself. That You are the greatest good that You could give to us. So, Lord, I pray that You would give us a full measure of Your Spirit this morning. That You would give to me a tongue to speak Your Word, this good Word. That You would give to these Your people, Your children, ears to hear. That they might be encouraged to pray in the Lord the very things that you delight in, and to ask for those things that you have shown us that we need. Be with us now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I got real discouraged this morning when I realized that we don't have few Bibles anymore, and... The text is not in the bulletin, so for those of you who don't have a Bible, maybe in the future we'll have the sermon text on the screen, or I should have had that up there, but um, hopefully you can follow along, maybe look on your neighbor's Bible, but we'll be going through the word this morning, so um, hopefully you can follow. If you've read much of Paul, you'll know that his writings can be pretty difficult, um, He tries to be clear and he tries to make himself plain by using uh, logical connecting words between his thoughts. But when Paul is writing, he's always going somewhere. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to keep up with him where he's going, but he's always giving you clues and hints as to where he's going. And the way he does it is he does it by using um, what I'm calling these logical connecting words. Um. For instance, the word and, or so, or and so, or that, or so that, or in order that, or therefore. Um, This morning's text begins with one of those logical connecting words. Let me read the text and then I'll work through how the logical connecting words work in this particular um, text. And it's interesting. He doesn't just use them when he's preaching or when he's teaching. This is a prayer. He actually uses them in his prayer as well. So pay attention. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every Father in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So I've already pointed out that Paul begins this, prayer with the phrase for this reason, which begs the question, for what reason? Why is Paul praying this particular prayer? Um, In order to figure out why is Paul praying this prayer, you need to go look. What is the reason for this reason? The reason is found in the chapters ahead of it. Um, I've already mentioned that this is the second prayer of Uh, Paul's in Ephesians. The first chapter ends with the first prayer. So the way I'm taking this text is anything in chapter 1 doesn't count. (laughs) He starts over a new section, and this prayer is what comes up after chapter 2. So chapters 2 and 3 will find the reason for this particular prayer. Before I go and show you the reason that Paul uses um, or that he has for praying this particular prayer, I just want to point out that I think that's for two reasons the first is in these two chapters uh, two and the first half of chapter three Paul is showing us the high calling that we've been called to Uh, and we'll look at that what is this high calling and the second thing that he does is he shows them how I'm phrasing it the low road that we have to take to pursue this high calling so we've got the high calling and the low road um and that'll make more sense as we go along. The first thing I want to point out, though, before we get into seeing these two things, is Paul has actually already tried to start this prayer. Um, if you look at your text at the beginning of verse, uh, beginning of chapter three in verse one, actually you see the phrase there again. For this reason, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. For the sake of you, Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. I'm going to stop there. But what what we see here is really what you see is two things. You see the same phrase that Paul's already used to start his prayer. And in fact, this phrase was already used in the first prayer um, for this reason. However, there's um, a second thing. The NAS has this. I think every translation, most translations have this. Right after we're Gentiles, you've got the M-dash. Which means the thought's being broken off. He's got to go somewhere else. And really what's happening is Paul started his prayer. He just about got into it. And he's like, oh wait, I've got to explain something first. I can't start this prayer yet. And the rest of... Of chapter 3 up until verse 14 is really the second reason that Paul needs to pray. So Paul's got his first reason that we'll find in chapter 2, and then he's like, Okay, I'm ready to pray. And then he's like, Oh, I just said something that's really confusing. I better figure, uh, explain that. I'll give my second reason, and then after the second reason, then he's able to get into the prayer in chapter 3, verses 14 and following. So we'll actually find those two reasons that I've given in in both of those two sections. So the first reason, which I'm calling our high calling, um, we will find in uh, chapter 2. The first place I want to look is in verses 14 and 15, where Paul says, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. A little background of what Paul is doing here in chapter 2. What Paul is doing is he is showing the Gentile Galatians that... Though they were formerly outcasts in God's family, they were not allowed in, now they've been brought in by the blood of Christ. They're now part of God's family. Um, and we'll see in the next passage that we look at that not only are they brought in, they're actually now considered to be one man with the believing Jews. Look down just a couple of verses later in verse 19. This is Ephesians 2:19. Now, there's an important thing to look at here. Chapter 2, the whole thing about chapter 2, is Paul is trying to say, though you were formerly outcasts, now you're part of the household. In fact, he goes beyond that. If you look at what we just read at the end of, um, in verse 22, 21 and 22, he's saying, not only are you brought into the household, formerly, you Gentiles, you couldn't even enter the temple. Now, you are the temple. The old temple has been done away with. The temple that you were not allowed to enter into, that's passed away. The old has been have been abolished by Jesus. Now, you yourselves, together with the believing Jews, are the very temple of God. And the two of you are now one man. Okay, at the end of 22 there, that's the end of chapter 2. You start right into Paul's prayer, at least what Paul tries to pray the first time. So from what we've just looked at, that is enough for Paul to pray this prayer that he's about to pray. That's sufficient grounds. The very fact that the Gentiles are now a part of the family of God, they're now the temple of God, Paul feels the need to start praying for these people we'll end up looking at that. But I just want to point that out. This That would be sufficient grounds. However, once Paul starts that prayer at the beginning of chapter 3, in verse 1, where he says that he is a prisoner for the sake of the Gentiles, a light goes off in Paul's mind where he says, I have to back up. I can't keep going. I can't. Just start praying with dropping that bomb on people. And really it is a major change because up until this point in Ephesians, I looked, I could not find anything bad in this chapter, in this book up to this point. If you look at it, if you especially chapter one, it is blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. You've been blessed. Um I I didn't include it in my notes here because I've been told to keep this short. But I think I came up with 20, possibly, uh, it's probably 20 passages of the way we've been blessed in Jesus. And the blessings that God has poured out. Up to this point, the only thing bad has been the history of the Gentiles. Once you were far off. But, but now you're near and everything else is nearness to God. Um, so all of a sudden what you get is Paul starts praying for him. And it's like, by the way, I'm a prisoner. And it doesn't make any sense for the rest of the book. What happened to all the blessings that we've been talking about? What's a prisoner? Why a prisoner? Um, What are you doing, Paul? And Paul realizes, okay, I need to explain something here. This high calling that we've been called to, namely to be a loving community, joined together with Jews and Gentiles now being a part of the household of God, um, To be the very temple of God? The stakes have been risen. What we have now is we have that same thing to be God's temple, but now that temple is placed within the furnace of affliction. In other words, um, if all you had was that you were supposed to be the temple of God, that would be a good reason to pray. But it's, it's more than that. Now you're the temple of God in the midst of the trials and, and uh, temptations that are all around. Uh, and they're great. You'll recall that Peter um, almost, uh, uh, the gospel almost fell apart because of Peter, because of this Jew-Gentile uh, problem that the early church felt. Uh, so I just want to point that out, that, th- that there's a great affliction that is coming um, in the midst of of the calling that we've been called. And so that's what I'm calling the low road. It's a high calling that we've got to fulfill, but it's going to be really hard. And it's going to be through trials and tribulations. Um, I want to explain something real quick about the temple that Paul is calling us to be. You'll recall in the Gospels that Jesus talks about the temple. In fact, the day that Jesus um, got very ex- uh, upset with what was going on in the temple, he rebuked the people of his day for making the temple into something that it was never meant to be. In Mark 11, uh, chapter uh, verse 17, he says uh, this is written about Jesus and Jesus. And he began to teach and to say to them, is it not written my house shall be a called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it into a robber's den. Jesus said that the temple was supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. Paul is saying that we are the temple of God we are the temple that is supposed to be a um, It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And it's supposed to be... It's supposed to be showing forth God's glory as a united whole, even in the midst of affliction... But even, even the Old Testament pointed out that it was going to be including not just the Jews, that it was going to be Jews and Gentiles. So it's a house of prayer for all the nations. That is what the temple is supposed to look like. So we have our two reasons now why Paul is praying. The first reason is because of the high calling. The second reason is because it's, a, it's going to be hard. Now I want to look at the prayer itself. Um, let me read the first two lines of it, and then we'll m- move into the, the meat of the prayer. In three, uh, Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul says, For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Now, you can uh, talk to Tim if you want to understand verse 15, because... He's thought a lot about it. Um, I'm not going to go there this morning, but I do want to point out that Paul prays to the Father for a very good reason. Up until this point, I've already mentioned the passage in Ephesians where we are called the household of God. Um, Earlier in chapter 1, Paul talks about us being adopted into the family of God. We're now adopted. Much of Ephesians uses household language or family language. And so uh, Paul naturally goes to the father um, for his prayer. And not only does he go naturally to the father for his prayer, but it's also natural if you understand the role of a father. Fathers love to bless their children. Good fathers love to bless their children. Um... I had the privilege of being at a wedding this last weekend. Actually, it was on Sunday. Last Sunday, my cousin got married. And a tradition now in our family, uh, my dad did it in our family, is several, two generations ago, when my dad got married, and I think probably when most of the ten children that were in in my dad's family, when they got married... My grandfather blessed them with a long, beautiful blessing for their marriage. Um, When I got married, my dad read that same blessing for Leslie and I in our uh, wedding. And it was fun to be at my cousin's wedding this last week. And the same words of blessing were uh, blessed on that new couple. Um, but that's the father's privilege. That's what the father loves to do. He's glad to bless his children uh, and, and the children to the many generations. As in fact, my dad made a comment this week when we were at our family reunion. After seeing that uh, blessing, he said, You know, it's always fun to hear that and to think that I blessed your children before they were ever born. This is, this, this is the father's delight. And so Paul, knowing that it's the father's delight to bless his children... He goes to the Father and says, Father, bless these, your children. This, these are your children. And so that's where uh, Paul is going with the opening of his, uh, his prayer. Um, in fact, Jesus says the same thing in Luke twelve thirty two when Jesus says to his disciples, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly, to give you the kingdom in other words don't come before the father cowering it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom and so Paul taking that as a promise gladly goes before the father and and puts makes his request known okay let's look at verse sixteen ephesians three sixteen this is now really I could be mistaken in this but this is As as far as I see it, this is the single request that is made in this whole petition. In other words, as as you read through the text, um, this is the only time he asks specifically for something to be granted. Everything that follows are just outcomes of this first thing. In other words, as you look at the text, there's reasons given or results or purposes uh, given. He's asking this for other things to happen. Um, But this this is the request. And then there's a final purpose that I'll really point out. But I just want to point out this first request. Verse 16, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. I don't know if you heard that. But what he said is that he wants you to be strengthened with power in in the inner man. Um, Going back to the start of this prayer, Paul had a reason for the prayer. For this reason, I'm going to pray this. And what's he pray? That you'll be strengthened with power in the inner man. What was the reasons that were given? The reasons that were given was that you're called to be the temple of God. Not only are you called to be the temple of the God, this temple is a temple for all the nations. It's going to be a house of prayer for all the nations. Um, this particular temple is not going to be just the Gentiles over here and the Jews over here. It's going to be one man. The whole thing is brought together. I'm, I'm As I looked at this, I was tempted to say, you know... I don't know that I've heard this prayer much in our churches here in the States, uh, that we'd be strengthened in the inner man for the reason of being united together in a loving community. Um, In fact, as I just kind of thought about the church in America, I was kind of discouraged and thought, you know, we've got white Baptist churches and we've got black Baptist churches. And we've got white Presbyterian churches. And we've got Korean Presbyterian churches. And we've got... I mean, you just go down the road. And we're all pretty individually clustered. I mean, we don't... We actually kind of had a blessing a couple weeks ago when we met with the... Uh, the church that bought our our building. Um, But think about that. Why doesn't that prayer get prayed very much? Well, because we're not pursuing that. We haven't really pursued a house of the nations mentality here in the States. We've pursued individual, just like me, homogeneous, churches that really don't shake up anything and really if you think about it don't require much power from god i mean birds of a feather flock together that's only natural that's the natural thing to do the 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 natural man i'm not the inner natural man if you want can do that what's so special what's what's what kind of power do you need for, to, to do a, a church like that? Uh, I think what Paul is telling us this morning is that's not the church you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be a church for the nations, a house of prayer for the nations. Um, so that, that actually, this is where I'm starting to think about this morning's vote. This morning's vote is a vote to move out of an affluent neighborhood in the middle of Bloomington to the west side. And I'm new to this area, so I don't know much of what that means, other than I've been told that the west side is not the affluent center of the town, meaning we're going from white collar to blue collar. And I'm all for that. I mean, basically, what the elders have said is, we're changing things. We don't want to be that homogeneous church anymore. We don't want to be stuck in that mold. We want to broaden our horizons. And what I want to say is, I'm all for that. But, and I'm all for the purchase of this property because I think it moves us in the right direction. However... That better not be the end. In other words, going from white-collar to including blue-collar doesn't cut it. That's the start. That's a good start. We need to start there. But my dad is white-collar and my older brother is blue-collar. White-collar, blue-collar is not a big difference. What we need is we need a house of the nations, a house of prayer for the nations. um, And that will take power. And then you'll start praying, Lord, strengthen us with your power in the inner being so that we can do this. I, I don't know if you recall, but I really enjoyed being in that worship service with Lighthouse Apostolic Church because it mixed things up. But I'm sure you saw how hard it was. There, I mean, there's, there's, there's basic confusion just because it was two different communities. But when the choir started singing, I don't know if you noticed this, the first song, it was real hard for this to get going. Not for their congregation. Their choir just... It mm, mm, started right into it. But... I tell you, it took a big portion of that first song. And then especially in the second song, I was like, oh good, the choir's really getting into it. Our choir members are really getting into it. But it's hard. It's not natural. It takes something beyond ourselves. Uh, And so that's what Paul's asking for here. He's asking the Lord to give this, to grant this. Grant this power so that we will fulfill that very function that we've been called to do, to be the temple of God. I need to continue um, looking down. Let's look at verse 17 and following. He wants us to be strengthened. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. I just want to point out something on this text. What he starts off is that he wants you to be strengthened in order that Christ might dwell in your hearts. And that also should come as a shock to us because I think we've bought into this easy believism here in the States, which says anybody can do it. It's just easy to believe in Jesus. Just call them to do it, and they'll do it. And what Paul is saying is, no, you need to be strengthened so that Christ can dwell in our hearts. In other words, we have this prayer where we just say, just say the the sinner's prayer. Ask Jesus into your heart. And it's good, but Paul doesn't say that. What he says is, Pray to the Lord, God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, that you would be strengthened in your inner man so that Christ could dwell in your hearts. In other words, when you take the God of all creation, Jesus, who created this world, omnipotent God, big, and you try to put that inside of your heart, It can't happen unless you're strengthened first. And so, I mean, you have to be strengthened in order to take that much in. So so pray that both you and your friends would be strengthened in order for Christ to dwell in your hearts. That's what Paul says. That's what Paul's prayer is, that you'd be strengthened for that to happen. Uh, Looking down at verse 17 and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. I just want to point out that, again, here, again, every time I look at Paul, he's saying things that don't quite make sense to us. Paul wants you to be um, able to comprehend the deep, things of God, the deep mysteries of God. And how is that going to happen? How are you going to be able to do that? You've got to be a loving person. I mean, I think in our minds we think, those, how do those two things match? They don't necessarily match. I can go to the university and study a lot of deep things without being a loving person. And I can understand a lot of things and I can comprehend a lot of things without being a loving person. What Paul is saying, if you want to understand Jesus, if you want to understand the deep things of God, you've got to have a heart change first. You've got, um, you got to be strengthened in your inner man, and you've got to be rooted and grounded in love. In um, and, and fact, the, these particular words here, in the text it says being rooted and grounded. Those are, you can, they're obviously past tense there. Um, but it's more than past tense they're actually perfect tense, which is you could also translate it having already been rooted and grounded in love in other words this is this is what comes first you're rooted and grounded in love first, then comes your comprehension of the deep things of God, looking at verse nineteen, where we read. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Um, This is probably one of the most hopeful texts in this prayer. Because I don't fit in very well at the university. Um, in fact, I don't know if any of you know this. I'm going to get kind of personal here. I did not do well at Wheaton. I was at Wheaton's, their grad program. And in their grad program, you have to maintain a B average. And a B average is, oh, I don't know, on their scales. it's not 80% as it is in most schools. I mean, it's way up in 96 or 97. Actually, it, actually no, it's, I guess that would be the bottom end is somewhere in that area. Um, I got two C's. And that put me into academic probation. And what I realized is, I'm not fit for the academic studies. My brain can't keep up with them. So then when I see in the text that we can be strengthened by asking and that we can comprehend the deep things and that we can, we can actually know that surpassing love of Christ. You don't need smarts for this. What you need is you need to be strengthened in your inner man and you need to be, um, you, you need to be a loving person. And those things will come clear. They'll become clear to you. You'll understand. Uh, that's, that's hope for you. Especially if you're like me, that's hope for you. you look at Ephesians 3.19, the, the second half. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. This is really the end of the prayer. This is where Paul has moved from his first plea that you'll be strengthened to his final purpose the final purpose of the prayer is that you will be filled with all the fullness of God and that refers us then back to the whole temple and temple um, concept that he's been working through that we are the temple of God he wants us to be filled with all the fullness of God in fact you remember that in the Old Testament when the temple was first inaugurated you have this wonderful passage that talks about the glory of the Lord coming down and filling the temple and that's what Paul is praying here now. He wants us to be filled with the glory of the Lord, with all the fullness of the Lord, of God. Um, he wants the glory of the Lord to come and fill the temple again. And now that's us. Um, and I just I want to put a, a quick application on this. What we have is a statement of prayer that we would be filled with the fullness of God. However, later in this book, in chapter 5, Paul actually commands us to be filled with the glory of the Lord. Look with me at Ephesians five seventeen. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. In other words, he's already explained to the people that you are the temple of God, and now he's saying, now he's saying that you need to be um, to to be that very temple that needs to be filled. He's asking for that, and then later he actually commands it. You are the temple. I've prayed for you to be filled. Now be filled. And actually, if you've heard sermons on this text, you'll hear that the sermon the preachers probably say, and this says. You could be said, "Be ye being filled. be continually filled. Don't just be filled once, just be an ongoing, filled person. Be filled with the glory of God. However, I just want to point out real quick, and this is where the application comes in, when Paul says that he wants us to be filled with the spirit, and when he says that he commands us to be filled with the Spirit, what does it look like then to be filled with the spirit? What it looks like is for us to be a loving community, to be well-ordered, even in the midst of great trials. Whether it's a whole mixed church that it's hard to have our traditions mesh and so things are difficult, um, or whether it's in your family or in your home, uh, whether it's in your place of occupation. What we're called to do is to be filled with the spirit and what that looks like is to be a loving community well ordered and taken care of and I know that's true because if you look at the Ephesians 517 18 passage he uses the verb to be filled be filled with the spirit there are actually five participles I think a lot of you saw this as you did it through your small groups but five participles that are dependent on this main verb here that follow and the five participles are things such as uh, speaking to each other in hymns and songs and spiritual songs so what does it look like to be filled with the spirit it means to speak to each other in hymns and songs and spiritual songs What does it mean to be filled with the spirit it means to sing and make melody with all your heart to god what does it mean to be filled with the spirit it means to be constantly giving thanks to God for everything. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It means to submit to one another. That's the that's the well-orderedness of this temple. In other words, the temple is it's a loving community, and it can function as a loving community because the people are well-ordered with inside of it. They love each other, and they're well-ordered. Um, and then Paul then takes the next... Section to show why? How does this order look? Um, I need to look at the last two verses because I thought this was going to be short, and I'm longer than I'm supposed to. Look at uh, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul started this prayer with a plea and a request to God to do something, namely to strengthen us so that we might function the way God has already asked us and told us that we need to function as his church. Now Paul is saying, oh, and by the way, God's able to do it. Not only is he able to do it, he's able to do it beyond all that we could ask or think. Once more, going to the boat that we're about to take, this is where I said we'll come back to this part of it, do much more abundantly beyond. I mean, he just stacks up these phrases to describe what God can do. Um, Let me read it. Far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. I mean, just, he's trying to get to the, this is, God can do it. In fact, we would have never thought that we needed Jesus. We wouldn't have ever asked for Jesus. Um, But God knows abundantly far more beyond what we need and he's given it and he'll grant it. So looking at this property here, my my um, urge and my plea is pray for something radical to happen there. In other words, don't be satisfied with, oh good, now we're economically diverse. <laughs> it's not the point. It's not the point of Paul at all. It's not the point of the Gospels at all. The point is that we would be a church, a house of prayer for the nations. Uh, And to that end, I pray. Let me close in prayer. Good morning. Uh, Due to the time factor, we're not going to be singing the closing hymn. I should introduce myself. My name is Tim Weichner. I'm here in the stead of Pastor Bailey, who is...